This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could make your way to Galatians. I can tell you that when going through some of these books and starting to write and pray and get counsel on the word that there's some things that hit the, uh, what do they call that, the, when you cut stuff out of a movie, the chopping floor, the edits that never make it to the sermon, okay? And so as I went through this, uh, there were several things that hit the cutting floor. We just don't have time for or... It wasn't the emphasis as we felt led. However, occasionally you have things that hit the cutting floor that are just too good uh, to let go of. And so the, the very first thing was one of them. And I had it originally worked in to the sermon. And uh, oh, no. Oh, no. That looks like something either Haley Kennedy would put in or <laughs> Pastor Grant. <laughs> You've hit the maximum number of slides. <laughs> you guys are terrible. <laughs> so this hit the cutting floor, all right? It has nothing to do with the sermon. Okay, for all you people that are older than, say, 25 or 30, did you ever watch the original Lost in Space? Does anybody see Will Robinson in there? Anybody at all? Some red-headed kid being held back by the police? Come on. That's Will Robinson. And he's got that look on his face like the photographer. He's way worse than what you think. <laughs> Have to be held back by the police, no less. It's, I had it originally worked in. I took it out, so don't think anything about that. Okay, next slide. Have you uh, ever gone... <coughs> I know you have. You've gone to the little village just on the other side of the mountain, um, and you're headed west on 40, and you see this little sign. Anybody recognize it? Um, <laughs> most of us understand the sign. It's just the issue being sometimes we don't believe it. And what happens when you walk into or drive into the world of unbelief, you get one of these following you. And normally these cars are accompanied by a plethora of lights and sounds, and they tailgate you for a while until you make the conscious decision, I think I'm going to pull over and see what all the fuss is about. And you do, and then someone approaches your car. And the reason behind this is that there should be a reaction from you, okay? And it should be nice uh, because this changes a lot of the outcome, I think. Um, and it's, it's good for you to be nice to the police. 
If you're fortunate enough, you might have been pulled over by one of these two guys. Now, now the point being here, I couldn't get any action photos. They were classified. So I had to go with the stock. But these guys are the ones that would pull you over and politely explain to you the meaning of the 65 mile an hour speed limit sign. And because of the powers to be in either Bernalillo County or the city of Albuquerque, the state of New Mexico has employed them, or the city of, county of, a couple of at least very stellar employees. I don't recognize but, either of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Optometry. Optometry. So the guy on the list, some guy named G. Blankenship, along with a guy named R. Kennedy, <laughs> are there to inform you that even though you may not believe the sign, there is a reason behind the sign. And as a token reminder of this, a lot of times they will write you a gentle warning or they might give you something that involves some element of financial remuneration that, that poses a burden on your wallet called a ticket, just to remind you that the sign is true. Now the question begs, what gives either of these fine-looking gentlemen the right to do that? Well, it's not because they're good-looking. It's not because they have cool uniforms. It's not because they have a neat automobile or that they're very articulate and polite. Somebody put in my notes with initials RK behind it. Don't forget buff. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that that empowers them. What empowers them is this. Do you see those two badges? That's what gives them authority. It distinctly represents the authority given to them. It was not in aid. It was not something that they decided to go out and do on their own. Authority was given them from a higher authority to write a ticket to stop you, to warn you of what you're doing. The red lights, the sirens, the car, the nice uniform, the little gun, those are all perks of the job. This is what gives them authority from someone else. Do you understand that? That's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to keep that in mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that uh, you have gifted us beyond measure. And this morning, the weight of your word is heavy. And um, in my ignorance, God, I pray that you would bring forth your word in a manner that sinks deep into our soul. God, we're not immune from what Paul has to say. And Father, with the authority granted thereof, I pray that you would touch our hearts and change us. And I'd ask that favor in Jesus' name. And amen. 
Well, Galatians without some element of history is going to fly over your head. Okay? So stay with me for just a second because Paul's letter to these churches is both personal and extremely powerful. Uh, he's going to talk about his apostolic authority. He's going to talk about justification by faith. He's going to talk about Christian liberty from legalism, but all under his authorship. I think the authorship of the book is without question. The other things that come into play are questions such as, well, who were the churches or where were the churches in Galatia? And there's a couple of options. The province of Galatia, you know it today as central uh, Turkey. It was Asia Minor. You'll see that referred to in the scriptures. But Galatia has a northern part that basically was settled by the Gauls that, from Western Europe. And, uh, but then there's a southern province that was added in 25 AD by the Romans, and they incorporated that into uh, their kingdom, if you will, and that included the southern towns such as Antioch and Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and, and uh, those cities. And so some believe uh, that Paul visited Galatia more than once, and here's some of that debate that goes on, and they think that Paul, after he had gone to, uh, in his first missionary journey, that he had come back and circled up through northern Galatia and visited or established churches up uh, there. And I would only bring that to your attention because some people have debated this for quite a while, and I would suggest that if you have nothing else to do after a small group and you feel like you have breath to waste, you can debate this. Uh, the, the, what I'm going to say next gets people thrown out of the pulpit. I don't think it matters. I really don't. It's not where the churches in Galatia are. It's who are the Galatians. That's the question. Okay? And so that's what we're going to look at because this is the message that Paul writes to. And initially, the Galatians had welcomed Paul's preaching. We'll see that later on in the, in the book. But however, not long after he had uh, uh, preached in Galatia and had multiple converts uh, in uh, this area, Judaizers came along behind them. In other words, Jewish believers now, okay? Jewish believers came along behind Paul, and their sole purpose was twofold. One... It was to obviously unsettle the Galatians, that goes without saying, but there's an attempt to discredit Paul in what he had preached, in what he had said, and also they came proclaiming a false gospel. The Jews were preaching, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, however, you need to... Uh, adhere to the Jewish customs and laws between circumcision and the Mosaic law in order to be really right with God, you had to uh, become Jewish. In other words, you had to become the covenant people of God by following the law. And these, these false teachers were making uh, an amazing headway with these Galatians. And for some reason, Paul, which is unspoken of, could not get back to this region. Therefore, 
he pens a very urgent letter. And in English, you've heard us say this before, the word urgent has this compound meaning. It involves timing and importance. Whenever we say something is urgent, timing is of the essence, and it's important. So Paul pens an urgent letter to stem the tide of this Jewish pressure uh, uh, for legalistic defection from the true gospel. So the short answer for why the letter to the Galatians is that Paul is defending not only his apostleship, but the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's calling Christians, now listen to me, he's calling believers, get that in your head, he's calling believers back away from the Mosaic law and unto grace. So he's trying to move this needle back from legalism to faith and faith apart from works. So in the first part of the letter, Paul will demonstrate his apostolic authority. He will move and transition greatly or gently into the doctrine of grace and finally into Christian liberty in living under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the letter to the Galatians is not an anomaly. It's not a one-off that Paul wrote. In other words, Paul will say the very same thing in some of his other epistles, but what makes the biggest difference here is tone. Okay? Tone of the letter. He has this deep compassion. And in fact, he borders on discipline now with these Galatians. We'll see that later on. So it's not an anomaly. I will tell you it is not a mystery because Paul writes in very clear language. Okay, so it's not that we can't understand what he's saying, but rather there's this urgent necessity behind the letter. And I often wonder, Pastor Grant, do I have the same urgency for the gospel that he did? the true gospel, and that's what he's addressing with these people because that is what was being challenged. So as we walk through this, I want you to understand that Paul is writing to believers either a very gentle reminder, in other words, don't go there, or he's making a very bold statement of condemnation either way Paul is taking a shot across the bow at Christians. Do not separate yourself from this book. In other words, don't say, I'm not a Galatian. Don't say, this doesn't apply to me. Because what we have the tendency to do is say, you know what? That really is written for this church, this denomination, this person. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do not divorce yourself from this passage. Because let me tell you the tendency of everyone's heart when it comes to salvation. It's to drift to works. It's to drift toward works. This is not just another dear Galatians salutation. 
as we understand the purpose and the theme of the book, the passion, the weight that Paul uses in his opening words to the Galatians. You need to understand the background, the tone, the urgency, the reason that Paul uses specific words. Because under the umbrella of what's going on, it means everything, as does his defense of his apostleship. So let's begin. Verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. The very first thing that Paul is going to establish in these two verses is the authority of Paul. That Paul identifies himself as an apostle is not unusual. He did this with the Corinthians. He did this with the Ephesians. He did it with the Colossians. He did it in both letters that he sent to Timothy and to Titus. So it's not unusual that he would use the title. But I want you to understand how the title stands and what it means in this passage in particular. We like to corridor off, not something that's done in the scripture, but something that we do to separate the apostles, such as the original 11 and then 12, when Matthias was was selected, plus Paul. And I want you to understand, a lot of times we'll, we'll use a capital A. You'll hear Pastor Grant say that every now and then, an apostle with a capital A. And what we mean is that there were men who God singled out himself to spread the gospel, okay? And if you read back in Acts chapter 1, you'll see the criteria that the uh, other 11 used to replace Judas, and it ended up being then Matthias. Uh, But the two issues here is that The apostle with a capital A hung on two critical qualifications, okay? And the two qualifications that it hangs on for an apostle with a capital A, as we would view it, is ultimately that they have seen the risen Savior and that they have been appointed by the risen Savior, okay? Do you understand that? That's how we distinguish it, because apostle means just basically a messenger, one sent forth with orders, okay? So the apostle with a capital A is one who has seen the risen Savior and has been appointed by him. Does this uh, apply for Paul? Listen to Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 13. At midday, and he's giving his defense to King Agrippa, you'll remember that. O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen on the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And just as a side note there, I want you to understand that Jesus just called Saul a dumb ox, okay? You just need to know that. Uh, You can laugh like uh, Bruce said. That's exactly what he told Paul. You dumb ox. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have, watch this, appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me and to those in which I appear to you, delivering from you 
your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of uh, Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the heavenly vision. Do you understand that Paul meets the qualification of an apostle? He has seen the risen Savior. He has been appointed by the risen Savior. And therefore, with all of this in mind, he uses the title rightfully. Paul's point in the opening line was he was defending himself against his accusers, which were the Judaizers, that he is a full apostle appointed by God's own calling. And it's not because he had some element of close association with the apostles or any other men. Do you see in your Bible, Paul, an apostle, does, does yours have a dash after that? Do you see that? I want you to understand that these are important here because this is what sets the precedent. This is what puts Paul apart from the Judaizers, from any other people, okay? This is in, because if you read it without the dashes, let me take those out for a second for you. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. That is a dear Galatians greeting. You understand that? So what Paul put in there was not anything less than a qualifier. It's not a side note. It's a qualifier. And the two qualifications that he puts out there right up front, he says, Dear Galatians, I'm an apostle, not from men nor through man. And this is huge because this was the battleground that the letter is uh, is founded upon. The battleground was that the men who had come along behind Paul, Judaizers, had not seen the risen Savior and were not appointed by God. These were just men. He sets this precedent up front and he says that it's not from men, but rather, read on, but through Jesus Christ and the God and God. The Father, his second point, he says, is my apostleship is not from men. It's through, that word there means by means of Jesus Christ and God the Father. I want you to stop there just briefly because the language he uses there is the language not only that the Galatians would understand, but also the Judaizers. Because the Judaizers worshipped Christ as their Savior, but they had added a little bit more to it. And so he uses Jesus Christ and God the Father because this is who they worshiped. He's hitting a, he's, he's throwing the ball right at their head, Danny, on this one. And he's using their own language uh, to them. And he wants them to understand that they have not seen, the Judaizers had not seen the risen Savior nor been appointed by the risen Savior. This is what Paul's apostleship was grounded in. And then he does one more. He adds an exclamation part, point at the end of that sentence. Look at it. But through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
the punctuation mark at the end of the sentence was, this is the same God that raised Jesus, the Christ, from the dead. That's power, people. That's power. I almost named the, 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 or titled the sermon, No Man's Land. Do you understand that is no man's land? We make no claim in that land for salvation or to raise anybody from the dead. That's God's land. The power and the authority of his apostleship are backed up by Christ and God himself. The very God, Galatians, that raised Jesus from the dead. It's a powerful shot across the bow. It's full of God's weight, God's calling, God's authority, and God's power in those first two verses. And I want you to understand that this letter that he pins is not an op-ed that he submitted to the Northern Galatian Times or the Southern Galatian Times, wherever you fall. This is not an editorial. This letter, his words, are backed up by, inspired by, authenticated by, under the direct authority of God himself who raised Christ from the dead. If you reject Paul's words, if you reject Paul's authority, you have rejected the one who appointed him. And if you reject the one who appointed him, who was Christ, then you reject the one who sent Christ. Do you see that cascade? If you ever wonder where you fit into the book of Galatians, there it is. There it is. Because if you don't accept Paul's authority, to write what he's about to write and what he will write in the future, then I can give you about 13, and if you include Hebrews, 14 letters that you can just rip out of the New Testament. Do you understand that? That's the authority that is based on these letters. So Paul makes this clear up front. And the only thing that hangs in the balance is not the truth. It's not understanding what Paul says. It's not even the authority of Paul. What hangs in the balance is do you believe it? Do you believe it? This is a thunderous opening that Paul pins. It's not that we don't understand clearly what he's saying. The question is do we believe it? So when you read what he says, it's either a gentle reminder, don't go there, or it's a bold discipline, either way, it's a shot across the bow. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. We've now established the authority of Paul, but verses 3 and 4 support the blessing from Paul, Okay. The authority of Paul now supports the blessing from Paul. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Paul can authoritatively say from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. you understand that? He's established, he has the authority to say, this is from God. You say, well, Paul uses that, that greeting in so many other of his letters. He used it in the letter to Rome, grace and peace. He used it to the Corinthians, grace and peace. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, Philemon. Same. Grace and peace. What's different here? Grace, obviously, is the favor of God toward an undeserving man. We understand that definition. Folks, if you're deserving of salvation, then it's not grace. Plain and simple. It's called merit at that point. None of us merit salvation. So he uses the term grace, and I want you to know that it smacks in their face at this point. Again, it's not an anomaly what Paul is saying here. Look what he said under his authority to the Romans. In 6.14 he says, For sin we have uh, no dominion over, since you are not under the law, but under what? Grace. To the Ephesians he said, For by what? Grace. You have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Later on in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, the law, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from what? Grace. When Paul offers the blessing from God, he's literally setting in place the true gospel up front. This is not a dear Galatians greeting. The church at Galatia had heard about the grace of God. They needed to trust now the absolute truth of the grace of God. Grace and works cannot Coexist. They are mutually exclusive terms. Do you understand that? Do you understand mutually exclusive? It means they cannot coexist together. You can have one or you can have the other. Okay? But you can't have one and the other. You get it? You can have grace or you can have works. They do not coexist. People say, well, Kim, what about what James says? James says that he would show us his faith by his works. Can I just remind you that works are nothing more than the fruit of your salvation that you got by grace. It's not a means to your salvation. It's the proof of your salvation. Okay, and Paul will go over this. But the point is that when you get to that point, such as what the Galatians have heard, that they, grace has literally flown over their head. You think, well, what's that have to do with me? 
Have you ever felt guilty in front of God and decided you were going to win his favor back? At that point, you have denied the sufficiency of grace. I'm not saying that we don't need to be repentant. I'm saying what earned God's favor was Christ's sacrifice. He's pleased with his son. And he's gifted you and I with that grace. Folks, when you deny grace, you deny the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. I do not want to be the one that stands in front of Christ and say, you know what, friend? Your sacrifice really wasn't enough. Aren't you glad that I taught that Sunday school class? I do not want to stand in front of Christ and say it wasn't enough. Those words, can I remind you, in heaven will not come out of your mouth because it can't. Christ is all sufficient. It's a huge warning shot when Paul offers grace from God to these people. Grace alone. Faith alone. Again, under Paul's authority, he writes in Ephesians chapter 2, Bruce, for, you, for by grace you've been saved. This just keeps coming up. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God to the church at Corinth. He wrote this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9, to see where it really rests, where that security rests, uh, so that you are not lacking in gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called in the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Peter puts it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, by whom God's power, uh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Here's what Paul is saying under his authority. We have been saved by grace. We are being saved by grace. We will continue to be saved by grace, kept by God's power. And he says, being guarded through the faith of salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. God is a promise keeper. He is faithful. And the grace that he has given you and I is kept for you and I. We don't. Do it. Do you understand that? Do you understand the fullness of the word grace that he used in his opening foray? It's huge. But I want you to look a little closer. He's not done. Not only the blessing from God regarding grace, he also offers one other thing. Do you see it? 
Grace to you and what? Peace. We've talked about peace. Do you remember that in Philippians chapter 4? Do you remember that? Verses 7 and 9. Sure you do. Shake your head. Yeah, I was there. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. You remember that? The whole business of sitting in the castle. And the... Good. Shake your head. I like that. And that the, the, that the result of that was that while all this was going on outside the castle, you're sitting in there, verse 9, with God himself. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and that the God of peace will be with you. The only reason I bring that up is it's the same word. It's the same word. He uses in his opening lines in Galatians that he used in Philippians. Again, in every letter, Paul greets with the same message, but this is different. And I want you to understand that the order in which the blessing is offered is critical. Let me see if I can do this in reverse. Grace, then peace. Do you understand the order? Paul offers this because other religions, in fact, I'm not even going to talk about idol worship and all that stuff because Paul wasn't talking about it. You understand that, right? Who did he write the letter to? He wrote it to believers. Okay? So I want you to understand that even believers, we get this turned around, backwards. So many religions have it like this. In other words, if I gain peace with God... Through whatever I do, well, Pastor Grant, I'm at church every Sunday, and I've been through 27 uh, Simeon courses, and uh, I go to every conference that's down in Albuquerque, and I sing, and on and on and on. It's backwards. God has to like me because I did all of these things. No. We want to gain peace with God through some practices, obeying some law, so that I can secure his favor, and therefore my salvation is secure. I can achieve peace with God. Let me just tell you, no, you cannot. No, you cannot achieve peace with God on your own. Can I remind you that every time we go down this path, it does nothing more than embed insecurities and anxieties in your relationship with God himself. Am I the only one that has tried to keep their salvation through works? Am I the only one that's walked out of a sermon feeling guilty and, oh, I need to be doing this and that? Otherwise, God's not going to like Am I the only one? Do you understand he's writing this because you and I do the same thing? That's what it looks like in our life. And it misses the very heart of the Christian faith. You understand that? We are saved by grace, which subsequently brings peace to us. And this is very peculiar to Christianity alone. It's that tranquil state of the soul, the peace that's assured of its salvation through Christ, and we fear nothing from God. It's a contentment of the lot that we have wherever we are. The question for the Galatians, Paul's saying, that's not where you are. The question I have for you, is that where you are? 
In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul uses the same word for peace. Listen closely. Therefore, having been justified, made righteous, made right with God, we have peace, same word, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have peace with God? All of this, grace, peace from God the Father is now amplified in verse 4. Look at it closely. Let's start with 3 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. The whole basis for this is set on the gospel message. He puts it in there right up front. When he says who in verse 4, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, this voluntary sacrifice that he gave. Why? He answers that. For our sins. To do what? What's the effect of that? To deliver us from this evil age. And then you have to ask the question, why? Because we can't do it ourselves. That's why. That's why. We need grace. There is no man involved here. But look what he says after that. According to the will of our God and Father. Here's what blows your mind. That word will means according to God's good favor. Look at Isaiah 53. You want to know what the will of God is? Here it is. Yet it was the will of the Lord. God's good favor. To crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt. There is your substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. He shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. His knowledge and uh, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, for he shall bear their iniquity. And in verse 12, Jesus' reward, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Look at this. Because he, who? Jesus poured out his soul, poured out, that means totally. He left nothing on the table. It was sufficient to death and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There is no work of man. Please don't miss the salutation of Paul in the letter to the Galatians. It's a thunderous opening. 
we understand clearly what Paul is saying. That's not the question. The question is, do you believe him? Do our actions reflect the grace we've been given? Paul is either giving us a gentle reminder or a bold condemnation. Either way, it's a shot across the bow. Finally, verse 5. We have seen the authority of Paul, and that supported the blessing from Paul. But now all of this leads to one place, and that's the example of worship by Paul. We've seen the authority of Paul that supports the message of the blessing from Paul. And that now leads to the example of worship by Paul. Look at verse 5. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Who's he talking about? God the Father, Christ the Savior, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is not boasting here. He's not boasting about an apostleship. He's not boasting about authority. In fact, his posture is exactly the opposite. It's humility. Humility not towards the Galatians because I can guarantee you he has an uncompromising message in this letter. He will not let go of grace by faith of salvation. He will not let it go. His humility is not toward man. He's made that clear up front. He's eliminated man. His humility is toward the one who appointed him to say what he's going to say, and it manifests itself straight to worship. To the God to whom be glory forever and ever. Notice the repetition. Not just forever, but forever and ever. He emphasizes the point. Let me just tell you, regardless of the heresy that the Galatians were buying into, regardless of the Judaizers who were undermining Paul's message, regardless of how they reacted to it, God's glory never ceases. Ever. And Paul worships and he breaks out in praise to the one who deserves it. Let me ask you, is that me? Is that what it looks like for you? Have I embraced the grace? Have I embraced Paul's authority? Have I embraced the peace that I have gotten from God the Father through Jesus Christ? And does all of that led to worship for me? Let me ask you a stinging question today. Why are you here? Why are you here? Bob mentioned it this morning in prayer. Are, are we checking a box? Why am I here? Am I to worship the God that by grace has given me salvation and peace? 
the end of it all, in Paul's opening five verses, the only mention of man is to exclude man. Do you see that? He did that in verse one. But can I remind you that it applies to verse 3, 4, and 5 also. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, not from men or through man. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God, not from man or through man. To whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. Not man. Paul has a thunderous opening in the book of Galatians. Don't miss it. The question is not, do you understand it? The question is, do you believe it? And he's pulling us over with a gentle reminder of bold discipline either way. It's a shot across the bow. So what's that have to do with us? You say, well, I'm not in the same position as the Galatians. I'm not buying into Judaism. What does the authority of Paul and the blessing from Paul that led to worship by Paul have to do with me? Well, hold on to your hats. Everything. It was the same for them as it is us now. As we read what Paul has already written and what Paul is about to write, we need to understand he has the authority to say what he's going to say. And that begs the question, do you believe him? That begs the question when he writes something such as over in Ephesians, saying, Paul, wife, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. <clears throat> his body and his, himself, its Savior, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to your husband. Ugh. Paul wrote that. Did he have the authority to do it? Man, you're not excluded. It gets worse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does that describe you? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Does that describe you? However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's just an example. Does Paul have the authority to say that? It's not that you don't understand it. It's very clear. The question is, do you believe it? The purpose of the letter to the churches in Galatia to defend the gospel, to call us back from the law, to rescue us from legalism. And at the end of the day, it all leads to worship. So here we are. Paul talked about the absolute truth of the doctrine of grace. And can I remind you that we live in a culture that doesn't tolerate absolute truth. In fact, the same culture rejects absolute authority. 
So you have to make a decision. I came across a note or something that John MacArthur wrote along this line. It had to do with absolute authority and absolute truth. Listen to what he says. This is the most offensive claim that can be made in the realm of religion. There is only one God, one Savior, one true religion, one holy book, one gospel, one way to salvation. All other religious claims are lies, deceptions, doctrines of Satan, and demons that lead people to an eternal hell, along with the immoral, irreligious, atheistic, hedonistic, naturalistic unbelievers. <laughs> this is the most offensive statement that I could come up with. It just happens to be the truth. And they went on to say, we understand why the world rejects this. It is, however, a very sad day when people inside the church, even the evangelical church, begin to reject this. Galatians, the authority of Paul, who can offer the blessing from God that leads to worship by Paul. He literally lays out a blueprint for our Life, not just the Galatians, but for us to, oh, don't miss the thunderous opening to this letter. We understand clearly what Paul is saying. The question is, do you believe it? He's either giving us a very gentle reminder, don't go there or a bold condemnation, either way, it's a shot across our bow. Red lights flashing, sirens blaring. This is Paul pulling you over. Either way, Paul has been granted the authority to do it. He did it in Ephesians, he did it in Philippians, he did it in Colossians. He did it in his letters to Timothy. He did it in his letters to the Corinthians. He did it to the Romans. He did it to his letters in Thessalonians. He did it to Titus. He did it to Philippians. He did it to the Galatians, and now he's doing it to us. Is it a gentle reminder, or is it a ticket? It's not that we don't understand. It's, do we believe it? Do we trust it? Do we have faith in it? Do we rely on it? What is Paul saying to us, church? What is Paul saying to you? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, for your mercy of your word, we praise you. And Father, I pray that we pay very close attention that you've gifted men with authority under your Holy Spirit to write what has been written. And Father, this book is of you. I pray that we would be found obedient in Jesus' name.